If you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. As you're doing that, let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are sheep who need to be led. And we will wander toward any voice that calls us. So we ask God that you would call to us so loudly and so clearly that you will draw us to you. Through your word, God, call us to yourself as you have planned before the foundation of the world. Make that evident and clear in our hearts right now. There are many voices around us and many voices speak to us, but God, we ask that you would speak abundantly clear to us through your word, that we might see the beauty of your son. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Parenting is fantastic. But in the moments of these of, of perpetual blessings, there are momentary lapses in which it can become frustrating. And one of the greatest frustrations as a parent is when you call out to your child and nothing. They don't respond. They don't respond at all. They don't say anything. Well, they don't audibly say anything, but they do say something. They are telling you. I don't, have, I don't know your voice. I don't have to listen to you. I don't belong to you, but rather I belong to someone else, namely myself. What they're not saying is, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, which is, as a parent, that's what you want to hear, right? Obviously, I probably don't have extensive knowledge about this, but I've read about it happening with other parents. Actually, it was happened here yesterday in these hallowed grounds as we're learning about prayer with Joel. One of my own sons just ghosted me completely. And I thought, boy, you and your sin, you just got yourself an introduction to a sermon right there. That's what you got. You know which one it was. Because you're laughing right now. But whose voice, whose voice do you listen to? The voice of the one that you listen to, that is the voice that is leading you. And where are they leading you? Are they leading you towards self-gratification? Are they leading you towards self-fulfillment? Or are they leading you towards righteousness? Are you, are they leading you? Is this voice leading you to the fields of God where you may graze upon the goodness of God and delight in the beauty of Christ? Well, this is where we're going to be heading here. What I want you guys to see that Christ is the good shepherd. We'll unpack that. What does that mean? But Christ is the good shepherd and thus because he is the good shepherd. We must listen to His voice. We must follow His voice. No matter what it costs us, no matter what demands are laid upon us, we must follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. So, how are we going to see this? Verses 1 through 6 
We're going to see that Christ is the one who enters by the gates. Who enters by the gate. Others may come into this pen, but there's only one way in, and Christ comes in that way. And the door is opened up for him. That's what we're going to see in verses 1 through 6. Then, in verses 7 through 8, you're going to see that Christ is the only way into the fold. That he is the door. That's going to be verses 7 8, that Christ is the only way in. The gate is opened up for him to come in, but now for us, he is the only way in. And then through the rest of the, our verses here, 10 through 21, we're going to see that Christ is the good shepherd. He is the one that gives and gathers and cares and protects for his sheep. So this week, what do we meditate on? What do we delight in? That you have Christ as the good shepherd. So what do you do then? You listen to and follow his voice. So we see this in the text by the fact that Christ is the one who has the gate open for him. Then you see Christ as the one being the door through whom all everybody else will come in to the fold of God. And then finally we see Christ as being the good shepherd who loves, nurtures, cares for, and protects his sheep. Let's go into the text here, verse 1. Let's go do verses 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee for him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. If you go down to the end here, this is, you're going to see that they, right at the end, they, others say, These are not the words of a man who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So what you see, even though we have a chapter break here, and you're thinking this is new, this is a continuation of the discourse that Adam was preaching on over the last several weeks. Same setting, same discourse that's going on about Christ healing this blind man and opening up his eyes. Truly a good shepherd. And you see here that they have asserted themselves, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they have asserted themselves as the keepers and the guardians. What are you doing healing this man? That's not your job. You can't do it on the Sabbath. Don't you know that? They have appointed themselves to be the guardians and the keepers of God's people. But their lives demonstrate that they're not qualified for it. They're not the ones who enter in by the door, but they're the ones who come around the side and hop over the fence. They're the ones that are thieves and they're robbers. You will always know them by their deeds. You can fake it for a little bit, but not too long. But, there are those who go over, but then there's those who go through the gate. But those who comes in through the gate and has the the gatekeeper opens the door for him to come in. He is the true shepherd. You can see Psalm 118 just coming alive, right? Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. 
This is the gate of the Lord and the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. We read Psalm 118 and we think, who's the righteous man? It's me. I want to enter through the gates. No, no, Christ. And Christ alone, he is the righteous one who's going to enter through the gates. The gates are open for him because he and he alone, in him is found salvation. So look at verse 4 here. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. He has brought out all of his sheep, all of them. Not one of them, not one of you, will be lost. Not one of you will be taken out of the good hand of the good shepherd. And you see there who the sheep belongs to. They are entirely the possession of the shepherd. They find their identity in the fact that they are his sheep. Not that they're sheep, but that they are his sheep. And he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. They know, the sheep know, that the best care is in the shadow of the shepherd. The best care is in the shadow of the shepherd. And he leads them. The sheep never take the initiative. Christ, and Christ alone, takes the initiative. And we follow and heed to the call of his voice. For they know his voice. He is the shepherd of the sheep. And he, and he alone, has the ears of the sheep. Everything else, everything else is muted. They will always hear the voice of the good shepherd and they will follow it. So go down to the end of verse 6. Do you see the iron here? Do you see what John's setting up in his soft gospel way? Read verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Right after he just told them, the sheep are going to hear the voice of the shepherd and they will know him and they will follow him. I don't get it. What's John saying? They're not of the sheep. They're not following. They're not listening. They're not able to understand what Christ is saying. So Christ alone here is the only one who enters in by the door. Christ alone is the only one who has the gatekeeper open the door for him. The Pharisees are unable to see this. So Christ again reiterates and tells them in another way. So go back here to verse 7. Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Truly, truly, amen, amen, verily, verily. I say to you, it's a gospel way when you're reading gospel narratives. Is a new way to, to uh, introduce a new discourse. And here's the picture. So you have this, should have told you earlier, you have this holding pen, right? They go out in the field and they graze. And then they come back. Maybe from watering, but then they have their holding pen and there's only one door. In this room we have five doors in and out. But there's only one door in and out of this holding pen. And there's only one way for the flock to come in. To come in and to be a part of the flock of God. And that is through what Christ is saying. 
It's through him. It's through Christ and Christ alone. See in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. There are many claiming. There are many claiming to be the door. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Nationalists. They're all claiming to be the door. To be the means by which you can come. Just say as I say and just do as I do. Or be as I am. And we can make a national version of the people of God. Or just circumcision by the flesh. Well, that'll be enough. The circumcision of the heart, for that matter, is nothing. And it's no different now. I know the beating of your heart is to be in communion with God. Because He's made you in His own image. And it is through Christ and through Christ alone that we are able to enter in. And some of us, though, instead of entering through this door, what we're going to do is try to come around the side and hop over the fence ourselves. We try to hop over the fence with our good works. What do you mean, humble myself and go under this low door of Christ? I don't have to. Look at my own life, my standards. I meet my own standards, they're pretty good. So we try to hop over the fence and not go through the door. Hop over the fence of our good works. Or we place charity as a little step stool. And then we're going to climb up upon our charity to then hop over the fence. Don't you know what I've given? Don't you know what I've done? Look at all these people I'm helping. Surely. Would, would anybody do that if they were not of the fold? Let me ask you that. Right? They get their little step stool and over they try to hop into the fold of God. Or they build a siege ramp of the Christian family to try to get over this fence. And this is one of the greatest traps for your children growing up in this church. This is one of the greatest traps you will fall into. Just because God was so gracious, children, listen to this. Just because God was so gracious to give you Christian parents and give you the blessing of growing up in a Christian home does not mean that you are in the fold of God. Your parents will not be there at the side to hoist you over and into the flock and into the fold of God. We too and you too must humble your head lowly and walk through Christ and through Christ alone to whom your parents are pointing. So we can't hop over this fence, either by good works or charity or growing up in a Christian home. We can only go through the door, which is Christ. And when we come to the door, we're never going to be turned away. Whatever condition we come to, the door in. Whether we come to Him rich and feasting and broken or wherever we're at, He will never, ever turn you away. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So this discourse goes on. And you're going to see that Christ is the all in all. You're going to go, is he the one that enters through the door? Yes. Is he the door though? Yes. 
But is he the shepherd of the sheep that are in the pen? Absolutely. You see how Christ is all in all. Everything. So we're going to see here that Christ is also the good shepherd. In verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If you guys recall these great I am statements that we've been going through, you see this, uh, Christ has said, I am the bread of life, John chapter 6, in the context of feeding the 5,000. As Adam was preaching on in chapter 9, previous chapter, he says Christ is saying, I am the light of the world. And he's healing a blind man. Opens up his eyes and says, I am the light of the world. In our passage here, we see that Christ is saying, I am the door. And then also he's saying, I am the good shepherd. And when we think about the good shepherd, we have to put it in context, right? But what I would propose to you, is that the context is not this first century farming and agrarian culture. That's not the context of Christ saying, I am the good shepherd. The context of what he's saying is, it, it, it's in the Bible. That's your context. Just think about shepherding throughout the Bible. Abel, the first one regarded for his righteousness. He's a shepherd. He's a keeper of the flocks. And he would come and make his offering, probably, perhaps, at the east gate of the garden of which they were kicked out. And he was a shepherd. Abraham, shepherd. Isaac, shepherd. Jacob, shepherd. His 12 sons, shepherds. As they're thriving in Egypt. What are they? They're shepherds. Moses is then also a shepherd. But when he goes back to lead the people of God, you know what he doesn't do? He has his shepherding staff and he doesn't lay it down. He's still a shepherd. But now you have this shepherd who's leading the people of God. A whole new picture. And all of this continues on until David. In which the Lord said, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And you shall be prince over Israel. So you hear that God is choosing one man to lead all of his people in David. To lead all of his people, to rule over them and to lead them as well. But these shepherds, they weren't always good. Before the fall of Babylon, or from the Babylonians in 586, 587, they come build the siege ramps to tear down the city. 586, you have the wiping of the dish in which they completely destroy the city, tear down the temple. And Jeremiah is lamenting this. In chapter 10, he says, for the shepherds, huh, we should have memorized this. For the shepherds are stupid and, and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and all their flock is scattered. So the shepherding is a beautiful thing, but it can be twisted and maligned. When the shepherds don't do their job. Later on in Jeremiah, he's lamenting many shepherds. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion 
a desolate wilderness. This is the work of the shepherds who are supposed to feed the flock. And what are they doing? They're tearing down these other fields in the goodness of God. And then finally, crescendos up in Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. So it's not just negligence. Now these shepherds who are being so derelict in their duty are now going to be falling under the judgment of God, a special judgment of God. But it doesn't end there. It's not how it always ends. Isaiah is prophesying that God will redeem his people through a shepherd. Isaiah chapters 1 through 39. Christ, or this, this servant as the king. A lot of judgment. And then it switches in chapter 40. And you see this king who is, will be reigning. In chapter 40, Isaiah writes, Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. God was armed. The arm of God reaching out for his people. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He, he will tend his flock. How? Like a shepherd. How will God redeem his people? Well, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. And who's going to do it? He's going to do it. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Also in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, this one's key. Stick with me here. What I'm trying to do is show you the context for Christ saying that I am the good shepherd. Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God, I behold, I place myself and I will search for my sheep and I will seek them out as a shepherd seeks for his flock when he is among his sheep and they have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. Then also later on Ezekiel 34, and I will set over them. This is God, the Lord, saying how he's going to redeem his people after they've been exiled. And I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Keep in mind, David's been dead for about 400 years. So there's this David, this Davidic figure that's going to be coming. My servant David. And he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their sheep. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord and I have spoken. So you see what's happening. The people of God, in distress, exiled, spread out, are given the promise that the Lord Himself, He says, I myself will come and be their shepherd and I will lead them. So the Lord is saying, I will come and I will lead them. The people of God longing, waiting, or they should have been longing, waiting for this. And then this rabbi comes. From Galilee, who's doing all these amazing miracles. And he, then he comes and says, I am the good shepherd. You know what he's saying, right? Fill in the syllogism. What is he saying? I'm the Lord. The Lord was going to be the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the Lord. And you notice that it's the good shepherd. It's not, oh, you know how shepherds, are, and some of them are good, 
And I'm like one of those shepherds who are good. No, no, no. There's one good shepherd that they have been waiting for. The good shepherd. There's one. And Christ is coming and saying, I am that. I am fulfilling that. The longing of God's people to be led and redeemed and brought back into the presence of God by the good shepherd. I am him. See how the context matters. He's not saying, I'm like one of those shepherds who are good and faithful. No, he's saying, the one that the people of God have been longing for for centuries and been waiting for and crying out to God in the midst of persecution and famine and sword, waiting for someone to lead them to the presence of God, it has arrived. And it has arrived in Christ, in Christ alone. But it's not just for our dear old saints and first century believers. We too are in the same position. Living out by faith, just like our saints in the Old Testament. Waiting for the good shepherd to come back and to redeem us. And he will. Go to Revelation chapter 7 and what it says is, For the Lord, for the Lamb is in their midst. On the throne will be what? Will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We too are waiting for the good shepherd to come. Longing for it. And he's he's the good shepherd of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. All gathered around. How beautiful is this? All of the people of God gathered around him, delighting in him. And he will not let you go astray if you're in the flock. You will be there. So, what does the good shepherd do? One, he, with the good shepherd, he gives his life, does he not? Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 15, I'm just as a father knows me and I know the father. What do I do? I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me. Why? Why does the father love me? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. The good shepherd is a good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. How are you going to come into the field and into the fold and into the pastures of God? It is only by the good shepherd who will lay down his life. Try to fathom. Try to fathom the goodness of God. That he would send his own son to die on the cross for your filthy, wretched sins. That you might be able to come into the presence of God and graze upon His goodness and be cared for forever. So the Good Shepherd, primarily what makes Him the Good Shepherd is that He lays down a life. He gives His life for the sheep. Number two, the Good Shepherd, He protects and watches over the sheep. Verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd... Who does not own the sheep. He was, well, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing 
for the sheep. But the good shepherd, he will protect you. He will not just lay down his life. But after that, he will guide you and protect you and watch over you. In a way that you can't even imagine. In a way that you don't even care for your own self. The good shepherd will care for you. He gives his life. He protects and watches over his sheep. And he knows your hearts. And he knows your thoughts. And he still, he still calls you by name. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. No longer do you have to walk in shame with the good shepherd. The good shepherd knows all of your heart. Things you would never confess to anybody. The good shepherd knows them. And died for all of them. So he just doesn't know the flock as a whole. But each individual. He knows you. And all of your heart. All of your thoughts. And he still loves you. That. That is a good shepherd. And as we mentioned before. The good shepherd brings one flock. From every tribe. And every tongue. And every nation. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, Gentiles. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he's not just your good shepherd. He's the good shepherd who will unite all of the people of God. He will shepherd and he will gather everyone who has placed their hope and their trust in him. He will never let them go, but he will bring them so we are all gathered together. As much frustration and dysfunction as we have in this world, God will, in spite of that, God will continue to gather us together as the good shepherd. That we might eternally be united in him as one flock with one shepherd. So what do we do? What do we do? Number one, don't just listen to and follow any voice. Right? The sheep, they must be discerning. Many voices are calling to you. Many of them. And you can't follow all of them. There are thieves. Don't be, don't be naive. There are thieves and robbers. Who want to destroy the flock. And the world is calling you. It is. The world is calling out to you. Calling out to you with this call of selfishness and self-idolatry. It's calling out to you to, to follow wealth and to follow after it. It's a path that's quite wide. There's quite a few people who follow that path. Are you going to listen? Promotions at work or this desire for youth and staying young. Or even sexual desires. To follow those. Men follow them alone. Yeah, you can follow them. You go right to hell. Or food. Or even or even complacency. You will follow one of these voices. You are following a voice. And if you do not know... Who you are following, let me tell you this, you're not following Christ. This idea of spiritual neutrality is a myth. It's a myth given to us, served up on a platter by Satan for the, for the lethargic soul. 
who doesn't want to discern anything. No, you're following something. You're not following Christ. So what do we do with this passage? Again, we don't just listen to any voice. We don't just follow any voice. But we follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. Day after day, moment after moment. Even the womb. Even the womb and the child. or The child in the mother's womb will know their mother's voice. Will know their father's voice. How much more? How much more should you know the voice of your shepherd who is leading you and guiding you? Christ will bid you to come. And you must come. He will lead you over this way. And he will lead you over that way. And you have no choice but to follow. And you don't hesitate. You don't pause. You don't ponder. You follow. So if you know that you're hearing the voice of the Good Shepherd given to you in Scripture, it's quite clear. And you're refusing to follow. Don't harden your heart. Don't let the Good Shepherd's voice become a little more distant, a little more distant, a little more distant, a little more faint. Until it becomes silent. And the voices that were once muted of the world become louder and louder. And you try to find the voice of the Good Shepherd, but now you can't find it. Because he's been leading his flock towards the fields of righteousness. But here you are, not a part of the flock, and thus proving that you were never there. You were kind of around them, but you were never in the flock. Listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow it. Stay ever by his side. Right, right by his side. As close as you can. So when he calls you to lay down your life, what do you do? Well, you lay down your life. When he calls you to radical and obscene holiness, what do you do? You follow. When he calls you to love your neighbor as yourself, even though you can't stand him, what do you do? You love away. What if he calls you to submit to your husband as unto the Lord? What do you do? You submit away. And if you're looking for a husband and you don't think you can submit to him as unto the Lord, don't marry him. Don't put yourself in a position where you will sin against God for the sake of being married. Or, if he's calling you, which he is, to love your bride as Christ has loved the church by pursuing her, going after her, winning her, giving up whatever it takes that you may have her and washing her in the water of the word, what must you do? Christ is calling you to do that. There's no way around it. What do you do? You love away. Or, some of you, Christ is calling you quite clearly to leave your life of sin and to follow Him perhaps for the first time. And you have no choice. You have no choice but to leave everything and to follow Him and Him alone. And this is the beautiful thing. When we try so hard to be at the shepherd's side, listening and following, listening and following, listening and following, we will find out that it's not you who's keeping yourself at His side. It's Him who's keeping you there the whole time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for 
sending your son, this beautiful, good shepherd. We thank you that he has died on the cross for our sins, that he calls us individually to follow him. God, we ask that you would give us hearts to follow him, that we would leave whatever it takes to follow the voice of the good shepherd and we would not harden our hearts and we would not turn it down. We would not mute the voice of the one who loves us more than we can even fathom, more than we can love ourselves. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to follow the voice of the good shepherd. And all God's people said, Amen.